Okay, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. It's always an honor and a privilege to preach the Word of God. The best part of preaching is actually preparing for it. All the hours that you put into it, it's... Unfortunately, I wish I could do it without having to teach. One day, I hopefully, I'll get to that point, but... Do you know that some of our laws in our legal system are, ju- are judged based on intent? The sentencing can be dependent on the intention of the person committing the crime instead of the crime itself. For example, someone that intended to injure someone driving their car is going to be sentenced more heavily than one who injures somebody by accident. Why do you think this is the case? Yes? Because when you injure someone accidentally, you didn't mean to, and it was completely, it should be completely accident, but if you meant to, what you meant to. So, one is intended, the other one is by accident. So why do you think, do you think it's fair that our legal system allows that? Yes or no? I'm asking you. Yeah. So if it's fair for our legal system, right, and, and if our secular world values intent, how much more do you think God values intent? Especially intent of our hearts. When it comes to, I don't know, maybe worshiping Him, obeying His commands. Do you think that the intent of your heart is important for God? Do you think that he looks at the heart and your attitude towards honoring him? Is that important? Because you know that there's a way that you do something, right? You honor your parents, quotation, but do you do it with the right attitude? See, God sees the attitude. And for God, that's more important than actually obeying your dad's or mom's command to throw away the trash. And we're going to look at that today. Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 14 is our text for tonight. And let's read it together. The Word of God says, Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God, he is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is as far away as far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him. 
Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. They are, they are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Today we're going to discuss four scenes regarding the Pharisees' self-righteousness. Four scenes regarding the Pharisees' self-righteousness. Scene one is the accusation. That can be found in verses one and two. Scene two, the defense, verses three through nine. Scene three, the clarification, verses 10 through 11. And finally, scene four, the command, verses 12 to 14. As you read and as we study God's word together, let's have this in our mind. Let's have the main idea of what God is or what Matthew was trying to tell the readers at the time. And what we could apply today universally is God sees the attitude of our hearts when we obey his commands. God sees the attitude of our hearts when we obey his commands. We just talked about last Wednesday, Jesus walking on water. The amazing miracle of Jesus walking on water. We talked about how Jesus, he, when he preached or when he taught, most importantly, people went to see him, not because of what he had to say, but of what he could do. Right? Unfortunately, people were looking for miracles. A, a different situation in their lives. They were looking for Jesus, not for who he was, but for what he can do for them. And this is where we left off. And when, men, and when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all the surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick, and they implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were cured. Brings us to the accusation. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said. So we know that Pharisees and scribes, they're what? The Jewish religious leaders of the time. The ones that are most educated in the law of Moses. Very well spoken individuals. So we know that Jesus was, his, was in Gennesaret. And he was healing and performing miracles and he had a crowd, right? The impact of Jesus' ministry was to the point where these Pharisees and scribes came from Jerusalem. By the way, the distance from this city to Jerusalem is about 90 miles. It's about like a four-day trek. And it's not the best weather, all right? It's not the safest conditions. And they, don't, they didn't have, you know, the best camping gear and the best... But they made this voyage, right? And you would think, wow, four-day travel to go and see Jesus. You would think that they would go with the attitude that they really wanted to see what he was saying, what he was about. But we're going to see in a second that it wasn't like that. It was far from that, actually. It seems like the local leaders, they didn't know what to do with this man Jesus, this God-man Jesus, that they had to call the big guns from Jerusalem to come and see what was going on with what Jesus was preaching and was saying. A commentator stated that he might have confronted local Jewish leaders in the past that we have read, but this is the first time that, he, that Matthew mentions that the Pharisees and scribes 
came from Jerusalem, basically their headquarters. They came all this way not to receive a miracle or to meet the Messiah for who he was, but to try to bring an accusation against him, to try to get Jesus. Verse 2, this is the accusation. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. The parallel account to this passage is found in Mark chapter 7. I'm going to read a couple of verses from there. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there were, are many other things which have, re, have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and copper pots. So basically, the disciples, after a long day of ministry, they're just eating, and they forgot to wash their hands. <gasps> Huge gasp. And if you watch telenovelas, which you don't, don't. <gasps> Where, what is this tradition? What is the tradition of the elders? What does this come from? What does that mean? Okay. So basically, this tradition is known as the Talmud or the Mishnah. All right. What they did was throughout the years, the Pharisees, the scribes, the leaders of Israel, they interpreted God's law. Right. And kind of like made man-made rules to follow what they thought and what they interpreted the law to be for people to follow. And the sad thing is that this tradition that these Jewish leaders made throughout time to be more holy, to interpret God's law the best way that they could and what they thought, they elevated it and sometimes even gave it more importance than the actual scripture. And you see this today. You see a lot of religions around the world take other things that are not the Bible and elevate tradition over the word. Catholicism is one of them, where they will take tradition of years and years of tradition within the Catholic Church and they equate it to the word of God. They elevate it above the word of God. We have sex, right, that throughout the years, the Book of Mormon, you know, the Seventh-day Adventists and, their, and the prophets of, 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 I think it was Julie Miller or whatever, they take their sayings, they take their teachings and equate it to the Word of God. And that's false. And we're going to see why. Yes, Ian. Does this mean that it would be unlawful for Jesus' disciples to wash their hands? No, and we're going to see why. The washing of the hands, Ian, is, is not found in God's law. There's nowhere where you're going to find that, God, that you have to wash your hands before you eat. So where do they get this from? Everyone turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 30. 30 or 3? 30. 30. 30. 30. Eh? Okay, verse 18. You shall also make a labor, a labor of bronze 
with its base of bronze for washing, and you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and feet from it. When they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Or when they approach the altar to minister, by offering up in smoke a fire sacrifice to the Lord. So they will wash their hands and feet so they will not die, and it shall be perpetual statue for them, for Aaron and his descendants throughout their generations. So what is this talking about specifically the context of what did they wash their hands and feet to be clean? What were they performing? A what? Yes, some sort of ritual. Yes, a, a specific ritual in, specific, in God's law that, yes, you had to wash your hands to perform this ritual. How did it go from you got to perform these rituals to perform this sacrifice to, oh, I got to wash my hands before I eat? Hence, man's interpretation of God's law, man's incorrect interpretation of God's law, men using God's law to the benefit of their beliefs and enforcing rules that are not biblical on people. Commentator said that the tradition of washing hands before a meal kind of came right before Christ in that area of the 400 years of, of, of silence from the prophets. So that was the accusation. How dare they not wash their hands before they eat? How did Jesus respond to this accusation? Well, we go to scene two, the defense. Verse three, and he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So Jesus responds a question with a question. To transgress in the Greek means to act in disregard of laws, commandments, or promises, such as covenants. See, they're accusing Jesus of breaking what? Tradition based on human authority. But he is accusing them of breaking the commandments of God from a heavenly authority. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? He says, you're, you're, you're judging me based on human tradition. While you break God's law all the time. And you don't see that? A commentator writes, when their man-made regulations took precedence, those regulations took a person astray from the straight path of God's law. So he's saying, when you decide to follow your man-made rules over God's law, you're astray. Now, verse 4. For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. So is Jesus confronting them with something that they've never heard before? A commandment that might have been like, yeah, you really need to be a scholar to know this. Does he do that? No, he, he confronts them with one that everybody would know, especially in the Jewish tradition, to honor your father and mother. One of the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Exodus 21, 17. He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. 
What does it mean to curse? To revile, to insult, to speak evil of. Guys, would you consider this far worse than washing your hands before a meal? Yes. Far worse. See, not washing your hands before a meal is not going to cause you to die. For God, not honoring your father and your mother and insulting them, that, that can cause you death. Now, you know I'm going to go there. Like Pastor Wade says, pastoral parenthesis. Let's take a moment to analyze this. Maybe some of you have been struggling with this lately, maybe honoring your parents, right? Do you know that this is the only commandment with a promise that if you do do this, you will have long life, that it will be well with you? Honoring your parents is important. It's vital. It's key. It's one of the best things you can do in your life. It's one of the best ways to honor God in your life. Why don't we honor our parents the way we should? I'll tell you why. Two reasons. Selfishness and pride. Selfishness. Well, my mom, my parents want me to do this, but I don't. I don't want to. I want to stay here. I want to be in my bed. I want to sleep later. I want to watch this movie. I want to play this video game. I do not want to throw away the trash. Not right now because I want to serve my kingdom, my wants, my needs, mine, mine, mine. That's why. And the other one is pride. What do they know? They don't, they don't understand what I'm going through. They were never young like I am. They were never cool. That's sin. And it's bad. And you should repent from that. Your parents know so much more than what you think. And you guys, and it's kind of confronting, right? Because we, as individuals, we live our life and we, we just tend to see here and God sees all And sometimes we struggle with it. So don't think it ever goes away. Because when you're an adult, right? It's you and God directly. And you're like, why am I living through this Lord? Why am I? And he's just as a father. He's like, don't, I know why. I see this. Your parents do the same thing with you. They see. They see the whole picture. They see and they know that if you do this this way, it's better off for you at the, at the long run. Trust me, your parents, they love you so much. Trust me, no one is going to ever love you like your parents. No one. And you'll find this out when you become your parent yourself. When you're waking up at 2, 4, 6 in the morning, burping you, changing your diaper by the time you're ready, eating again, having to wake up to work an entire day. And that's just fathers. Mothers are even, they even, they sacrifice much more than that. The least we can do is honor our parents. And if you're struggling with that, we'll talk about it in small group. But it's the best thing that you can do for God is to honor your parents. And everyone can do that here because we all have parents. Amen? Yes? Is pride through selfishness or is selfishness through pride? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Both. 
synonyms. All right. Now, verse 5. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. How did Jesus start off verse 4? Let's look at it real quick. How did he start off verse 4? Matthew chapter 15. Who wants to? How did he start it off? Tobes? Toby, how did he start it off? Verse 3. And said to them what? Sorry, man, I didn't put you on the spot. Verse 4, how did it start? Verse 4. Now you're looking because you think I'm going to call on you. You see how it is? That's Noel? It's just right there, verse 4. Matthew 15. No? Okay. Okay. For God said, for God commanded. Right? One starts with for God said. What did the other one start with? The ones that are accusing Jesus. What do the Pharisees and scribes tell Jesus? Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? So the scribes are telling Jesus, why are you transgressing the tradition of the elders? How does Jesus respond? Why are you transgressing the commandments of God? I like how Mark writes it. Verse 9, chapter 7. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corbin, meaning that is to say given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. Invalidate. The Greek here means to take away the legal force or render ineffective. What are they saying here? This is how blind the Pharisees were. A Jewish man knew he owned a lot of land, and he would say, this land right here, Lord, I promise it is for you. The day I die, it will be sold, and that will go to you. So, when their parents came and asked for assistance, guess what they said? Well, mom and dad, you know, I, I want to help you out, but I promise it to God. Sorry. And guess what? They were allowed to get away with that. They were allowed to get away with that. Their elder tradition was so immersed in their culture, they didn't see anything wrong with that. God is trying... Jesus trying that moment to open their eyes to their hypocrisy. 
A commentator writes, The Pharisees' loophole, sorry, it's all devoted to God, kept the younger generation from having to take care of their parents in their old age and thus contradicting the word of God. They gave tradition more importance than the word of God. Pastoral parentheses again. A one way you honor your parents in the future is financially. Remember that story I told you when they were waking up for you and taking care of you? One day we're going to need it. We're going to be old and fragile and we're going to need you to help us. And what an awesome way to honor our parents in that way. I always tell Nico all the time, hey, remember what I'm doing right now because I'm going to need it in the future. I'm just kidding. But it's a good way to honor your parents financially, if you can, when you can, to do so. Verse 7, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the, pre the precepts of man. Do you know that this is the first time Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites to their face? Up until this time, this is the first time Jesus calls them hypocrites. He's called them many other things before. Brood of vipers, right? Sons of the devil. But this is the first time he calls them hypocrites. And the Greek word for hypocrite here is the one who wears a mask. When he says, rightly did pro that Isaiah prophesy of you, rightly means in a good or proper, satisfactory manner that Isaiah know what he was prophesying about. Now, we know Jesus. He, he's a loving teacher, but he's also truthful. And, he, and, he'll, and he'll say it how it is. He's a perfect teacher, perfect balance of love and being direct that we can ever learn from. I came 90 miles to see what Jesus was all about. Not even to give him a shot to actually hear his message, but to accuse him. Why? And we talked, we talked about this before. Why are Pharisees and scribes trying to get Jesus? Yes. Yes. Good. They, they don't want to make him Lord. They don't want to make him Lord. They don't want to accept his teaching as truth. Because if they did, they would have to recognize him for who he was, the son of God. And they weren't about to do that. They didn't want anybody else telling them what to do. Why? Because it was easier for them to justify their sin by doing good works. I sinned, but let me do this Good works, I'm good with you, God, and move on. Instead of dying to themselves completely and honoring God with their lives. That's why. They saw the miracles, guys. They saw the wonders. They heard the teaching from God himself. But like Dusty said on Sunday, they hardened their hearts. Isaiah 29, 13 says, Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rot. Now, even though Isaiah wasn't talking about 
the leaders that Jesus was encountering right there and then. Isaiah was prophesying of the leaders of his time. And guess what? They existed in Isaiah's time. They existed during Jesus' time. And they exist today as well. And he's just saying, rightly did they say the truth. They worship me with emptiness, teaching man-made traditions as doctrines of God. They were so far away from the truth. Jesus, again, was never afraid of holding back and speaking the truth. Let me ask you a couple of questions. What areas in your life do you give lip service to God, but your heart has the wrong motive? What areas in your heart do you give lip service to God, but in your heart you have the wrong motive? I'll give you some examples. Going to church. Do you come to church as a lip service to God or with the right attitude? What different reasons why would you come to church other than the right attitude to learn about God's word, to worship God? I'll see my friends there. I don't get out a lot during the week. It's my only day to do so. Ah, to get my parents off my back. To show them that I, yeah, I know to answer questions when they ask me. So could that be one of you? Sure. Yep. Yes. Another reason is to free donuts. Hey. <laughs> free donuts. <laughs> what, about, what about reading the Bible? Do you read the Bible out of lip service? What does that mean? Do you read the Bible just to say, check, I did it. Lord, I'm good. Oh, I, I did it. So when they ask me in small group, I can say yes. Check. See, that's lip service. That's not the right intention to read the Bible with. You read the Bible because it's God's word. You want to learn about God and his attributes and his greatness and his kindness and his goodness. I'm not saying that all the time. Sometimes, yes. The busyness of the day, you have this Bible reading plan, and if your personality is a go-getter, wants to check, it's, yeah, you're going to sometimes read it as lip service. But it's not to be consistent. You're not always going to want to read the Bible. doesn't matter what you want or don't feel. You force yourself to do it, and when you do it, you do it with the right attitude. Not for lip service, but to honor God. And a good way to solve this, every time you read, pause and meditate. Pause and meditate on what you just read. Instead of just doing the little check mark, I read my New Testament portion, my Old Testament portion, and my Psalms. After you read one, what did I just read? Lord, how can I see you in this passage? What can I learn about your attributes in this passage? Okay, next. And next. It's very easy to read. Harder to take time to meditate. But that's not lip service. That's from your heart. What about praying? Do you sometimes feel like you, you pray the same prayer? Just comes out the same way and you're like, yep, yeah, I prayed. They told me to pray in church. I prayed. Like when you pray for your food. Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. It happens. It's a... Conscious effort to, to pray biblical prayers, spiritual prayers. Not just to pray for prayer, 
That's what the Pharisees did. What's the point? Obeying your parents to get them off your back and not doing it joyfully as it was for the Lord. Lip service. Lip service. Too much talk, no walk. Let's examine our hearts. What about, I don't know, playing with your siblings? They ask you to play with them? Yeah, you will play five minutes and you're like, oh, we played, I'm done. I'm okay, mom saw I was okay, mom. They came in in perfect timing, you were laughing with each other, and then they left and you're like, peace. It's lip service. Loving the other more than yourself. We talked about this on Sunday. Your siblings is the best sanctifying tool that you would ever have right now. Oh, does the Lord use your sibling to sanctify your soul? It does. He does. And thank God for that. And then your sanctifying tool will be your wife or husband when you get married. And then your children. <laughs> and it goes, we'll, we'll always have sanctifying tools around us. Start practicing with your siblings. Love them more than yourself. And you'll see how easy it is to obey God's word. And do it with the right attitude. Not, oh, I'm going to do it so my parents can see me. Do it because it's God's commandment for you. This leads us to the third scene, the clarification. Verse 10. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, hear and understand. After his discussion with the scribes and Pharisees, he called the crowd and wanted to make sure they understood what went on. He didn't continue to debate with the Pharisees. Do you ever recall Jesus debating with the Pharisees? Think about it. And what we read up to Matthew so far, does Jesus ever debate with the Pharisees like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth? No, he doesn't. What does Jesus do? He confronts them in their incorrect theology. He confronts them in their hypocrisy and he lets it go. He's not going to engage in this fruitless conversation. What happened? Called, after Jesus called the crowd to authoritatively communicate a demand for the presence or participation. And when he says here, to hear with intention is when Jesus calls them. All right. The crowd there to explain to them. Understand what I'm going to tell you. Verse 11. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man. But what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Jesus explained to the crowd the real issue through an example. However, in this case, it was not meant to be a parable. Remember when we talked about parables? How Jesus, starting in chapter 13, he starts to begin to talk in parables to the crowds. Why does he do this? Brent? Why does he teach in parables starting in chapter 13? So it's easier for everyone to understand? Nope. Trey? It's harder for everyone. <laughs> yes. Partially. Double judgment, remember? Double judgment, what does that mean? If you understand it fully and object it, you'll be more accountable. Yes. So, Jesus' grace and his love and his kindness, he's preaching all this truth, people are rejecting him, he's doing all these miracles, people are rejecting him, he starts to speak in parables so only the believers can understand him. So that the unbelievers want to have double condemnation. 
So in this case, he says this example, but guess what? It's not a parable. Why? Because we read that the Pharisees were offended earlier. And trust me when I tell you, I don't think the Pharisees at this point in time were believers in Christ. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man. The Greek word for defile means to make morally or, rich, or ritually impure. The Pharisees were concerned that the disciples were defiling themselves because they did not wash their hands as their tradition stipulated. They thought that the outside, an outside factor, can defile the man in the inside. But Jesus said, the uncleanliness of the soul cannot come from the outside, but it comes from within. He was saying that the heart is what makes a person morally or ritually pure or impure. Honoring God with the intentions of our heart is what he is looking at, is what he's looking for. This leads us to the final scene, the command. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? After Jesus clarified and exhorted the crowds, the disciples got the word that, guess what, the Pharisees were offended and, and when, when Jesus called the crowd. And we know that the disciples told this to Jesus in private. It wasn't in the crowd that they were in, where he said, hey, come over here, let me tell you something. What comes into a man does not defile him as what comes out. That part is separate. They go into somebody's home. Mark 7 records his account. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. Here, do you know how the Pharisees were offended? The word offended in the Greek is to become filled with disgust or revulsion for someone. Now, what were, what were they offended for? Everything that Jesus just said. The Isaiah reference, the hypocrite reference, the, all these references, yes, they were offended by that. Verse 13, but he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant shall be uprooted. How many times have we talked about good fruit and bad fruit? A lot, right? Here it goes again. The one that plants, the one that he plants, that God plants will produce good fruits. The ones that he does will produce bad fruits. This is a common theme of Jesus. Everyone turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may, be, it may bear more fruit. You, already, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit, of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them, and they cast them into the fire, and they are burned. 
Verse 14, as we continue in Matthew chapter 15. Let them alone. They are blind guides guiding the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. The command Jesus gave, leave them alone. A commentator wrote, leave them alone meant to keep away from them and have nothing to do with them. The pit that Jesus is talking about during those times in the fields, they would dig these holes for the animals to drink from. They were pretty deep. And obviously, if you're walking in the field and you're not seeing, you're going to fall into that pit. And those that are with you are going to fall in as well. Obviously, the meaning of the pit is hell. The blind guides were the Pharisees and the blind following them were their disciples of the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, verse 13 says, 15 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, meaning a follower, and he becomes one. You make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. These are strong words from our Lord. Strong words that we should take and heed and obey. Check your heart. Check the attitude of your heart. How are you honoring God? With lip service or with true intentions? Do you honor God? In conclusion, do you honor God with the correct heart attitude? Are you the person that, we, we talked about this, goes to church just to be with your friends or goes to church because you want to learn about God? Now, don't get me wrong. It can be both. We love, I love coming on Wednesday nights. It's the highlight of my week. The highlight of my week. I love being with you guys. I love fellowshipping with you guys. But most importantly, I, learn, I come because I want to learn about God and what other teachers have to say. It's an, it's an opportunity to learn more about God's word. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to come to church because your friends are here. That's a good thing. I loved youth group growing up. Man, youth group was everything. Excellent. I loved it. It's awesome. Your friends are here. You grew up. You, you, you're together. Yes. Yes. But don't ever substitute it for what you really come for, which is to learn about God and his word. Guys, it's super easy to play Christian here. It's called reverse peer pressure. Here, because the majority of you don't act in a certain way, it's easy for you to not act in that way. The majority of here, you hardly hear a curse word coming out of your mouth. So if you said it, everyone's going to look at you and you're going to be the only one kind of like fish out of water, reverse peer pressure. While if you're in another atmosphere where everyone is kind of saying those bad words and you say you just fit in. So it's easy to be a Christian at church. It's easy to be, you know, saying to people, yeah, I, I read the word this morning or I prayed this morning. It's hard when you're out there in the world to do so. Do you obey your parents out of respect for God or simply to not get in trouble? Do you read and pray just to say you did it with the intention of, or really with the intention of getting to know God? Do you love Jesus for what he did for you? Do you want to go to heaven because you don't want to go to hell? Or do you want to go to heaven because you want to see Jesus and you want to thank him for eternity for what he did for you? These are important questions that you have to ponder and think about. Now, you do understand that if you believe in your own God, in your own interpretation of God, you will fall into the pit just like the blind men did. 
There is no other revelation except the Bible. You don't get to interpret the Bible how you please or how you think or how you feel. What do I mean by this? A lot of people say, well, if I'm a good person, you know, I do good things. I'm, I, I don't kill. I don't steal. I'm, you know, I'm going to go to heaven, right? Well, nah, some, you know, every religion is like, you know, has their truth. And at the end of the day, it's just one God and we're all going to be in heaven together. Love and joy and peace for all. No, that's not it. That's not you. You don't get to interpret. You don't get to tell God how he rules. You don't get to tell God, well, I think you should do this, God, and you should don't do this. You don't do that. The word is clear. It's perfect. Forever it will be. One day you will be before a holy God. And you will be judged for every action that you did. And guess what the verdict is going to be? Guilty. Guilty. Yeah, you haven't killed anybody, but the Bible says when you become angry against a brother, it's like killing him. And I know that all of you have never been angry out of your sibling before. So right there, in God's standards, you are a murderer. Guilty as charged. What's it going to look like? When you go to a judge, before a judge, and, you, and, and he tells you, what do you plead? Well, guilty. What is he going to do? He's going to punish you for that. You're going to have to pay for that. But the good news is that God lived a perfect life, the one that you and me couldn't live, died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and is alive today. That Jesus that died for you, took your place, is to be Lord of your life. How do you become saved? I love the verse that Dusty used on Sunday. Call upon the name of the Lord. For those, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? What does it mean? Lord. Basically, you become a slave of Christ, a bondservant of Christ. You know why you become a bondservant of Christ? You know why you become a slave of Christ? Because he paid a price for you. He bought you with the blood, his blood. He bought you. So guess what? When you become a slave, a bondservant of God, when he tells you to follow his commands, guess what? You don't revile. You don't question. You do because you're thankful for what he did. It's an honor and privilege to follow his commands. Only people who have Jesus as their Lord can do this. And believe that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Guys, don't think your theology is going to save you. Being good is not going to save you. Only Christ can save you. And don't let tonight pass without having and without making Jesus your Lord and confessing it with your mouth. And if you have a question about that, please talk to the leaders. And during small group, individually, we would love to talk to you about this or your parents as well. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Holy Spirit, convict us. Transform us, change our lives through your word. Allow us to remember these passages. Allow us and remember, help us remember and meditate these words. Help us honor you with our hearts. Please, God, 
We pray that you can help us to do this, Lord. Help us honor you the way you want us to honor you, God. I pray for all of us here, Lord, that we can take this word seriously, Father, that we could check our hearts, Lord, repent and change for you, O God, to honor you, Lord. I give you thanks for every youth that's here. Bless the time that we're going to have in small group that they can open up their hearts to their leaders and to you and to each other in fellowship and accountability. It is in your precious name that we pray. Amen.